Welcome to Bold Speak. I'm Anthony Creedon. On this edition of the Bold Speak podcast, we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 4, as Paul's going to use the analogy of a slave and an heir to illustrate the important difference between the law and the gospel. We're also going to talk a little gaming, as one popular video game faces a potential lawsuit because of dancing. Yeah, all that and more right now as we give them the Bold Speak. Welcome, everyone, back to our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. I'm excited for you to be here with me as we're going to now get to the heart of Paul's message in Galatians. It's actually kind of hard to believe that all we've done so far in this study has just been kind of a setup for Paul to make the most crucial part of his argument here in chapter 4 and continuing on to chapter 5. Using the analogy of slaves, Paul's going to show how the gospel is by its very definition, intended to be a free gift. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us as we live out that same free gospel message. So, uh, if you have that study guide with you, go ahead and open it up to page 23. And as always, if you haven't picked that up yet and would like to follow along with us, and there's some spaces in there for you to answer questions as well as some additional information and pictures and things like that, head over to our website at www.theboldspeak.com. Go ahead and click on the shop button in the menu and pick up that study guide for only $10. I I really think you'll enjoy having this reference uh, for you as you uh, continue to track along with me in this study. So, uh, continuing on with our Bible study, let's go ahead and open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin with verses 1 to 7. Now, as usual, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you happen to have a different version, that's perfectly fine. Go ahead and grab that and pull it out, uh, and you can kind of track along with me as we go. Uh, If you're listening in your car or don't have access to a Bible right now, don't worry. I will be reading it to you so that you can follow right along with us as we continue the study. All right, so here we go. Uh, This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, as we jump into this particular section here of Galatians chapter 4, I think it's important to remember some of the things that we've covered so far, and and specifically here, the nature of of the law and how the law operates. Now, we've already seen uh, Paul speak about the law as as a guardian, right? It's something that was here and was there to kind of protect us until we could get to the point where Christ uh, comes and the promise of God is fulfilled, and that's the gospel. And so Paul makes a very uh, important distinction between the law and the gospel and their purpose and how they operate. 
He's going to continue in that same conversation, but now he's going to use an analogy to make this incredibly clear. And that's what we get to in Galatians chapter 4 here. And, and I think maybe the best way to do this is to kind of break down what he's discussing verse by verse. So verse 1 here, he, he's talking about uh, an heir. He says, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. And the point he's making here is that the child slave and the child heir are actually quite similar as children in terms of the position that they're in. That is to say that the son has all the rights of a son and has an inheritance. The slave does not because they are not properly the son of the master. But in the way that their lives play out, they're both taken care of by the same person. The father, who is the master, takes care of both children as a guardian. And that's what he says in verse 2. He says, but he is a, uh, under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Okay, so the, the father, who is the master, is establishing the boundaries and, and the ways to, to protect and, and to help the children to live, whether they're a son or a slave. And then he takes this one step further in verse 3, and this is what we're getting to in our study guide. Uh, question 3 says this, what is Paul saying in verse 3? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you again. It says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All right, so what's he getting at here? You have to understand, as Gentiles, the Galatian converts didn't have the, the expression of the law that the Jews did. Right? And, and at this point, I think it's kind of helpful to revisit some of the things we covered in Lesson 3 in regard to the law. We talked about the laws being broken down into natural law. And natural law is the, the kind of the way that God created the world to work. It's a, a law that God built into the fabric of our existence. Okay, It's just naturally how things operate. And we talked about some of the things that we know just kind of naturally about pain and, and relationships and frustration. The, the, the things that we see as injustices. Um, we just kind of have a natural feeling. And that's kind of built in uh, to us by natural law. But we said because of the, the reality of humanity and sin kind of separating us and pulling us away from God, God needed a way to remind us and to speak very clearly as to how it is that we operate in relationship to him. And that we called divine law. Divine law is the expression of what God desires us to be in the living out of our lives of faith. And while the two overlap, right, because uh, the divine law is just a, a verbal expression of what already existed in natural law, it's important to make the distinction here because it's important to see how it is that the law works with us on a day-to-day -day basis and what it actually tells us about God. And so in that realm, if you look in your study guide under this question, we have uh, two terms here, general revelation and specific or special revelation. And it's important here to make a distinction. Now, general revelation is a way to, to understand the realities of the existence of God and his law through what we just generally see in the world. For instance, uh, you may look out the window and see trees or the sky, and you maybe even see oceans or mountains and, and any of those things. And as you look at those things, you think to yourself, there has to be something bigger than me out there that made all of this. That's the reality of how all these things got to be where they are. And that is an expression of general revelation. 
It's the idea that some things can be known about God, about the world, on the basis of what we see and experience in the world. But what we have to realize is the limitation of general revelation, and specifically the limitation of general revelation when it comes to God. Right? General revelation, on the whole, is insufficient to fully know the true God. We need something specific. Uh, seeing mountains and seeing that there has to be something bigger out there doesn't tell us what that bigger thing is. And that's the role of specific or special revelation. Specific revelation is the specific identity of God that is given to us by God himself. And we know that specifically to be given through his word, through the Bible. Uh, by way of example, let's say that you and a good friend uh, go to a party. And as you enter into the party, you're looking around and seeing some people that you know and some people that you don't. And you and your friend see someone across the room that you look like might be an interesting person. So you and your friend walk over and as you approach this person that you've never met before, something kind of comes over you and you look at your friend and you go, Hey, uh... This person here, this person we don't know, this person here is uh, Steve. Steve plays competitive tic-tac-toe on the weekends. He loves knitting, and his favorite food is uh, pickled eggs. Now, my guess is this person that you don't know would probably stare at you oddly. Your friend might stare at you oddly, and justifiably so. Because that's not the way that we interact with people. That's absolutely absurd. The truth is, is that we can't just go around making up things about people and telling others those things as if they're true. Because we all know that the only way that you can get to know someone is by what they tell you, not by what you kind of create to fill in the gaps. There's certain things that you can tell about a person. You can describe the thing that they're wearing because you can see it. You can describe about generally how tall they are because you can see it. But that only gets you so far. Eventually, to, to really get to know a person, you have to listen to what they tell you about themselves. Now, think about this in relationship to God. When people talk to you about God, or people talk to other people about God, do they speak about him in the way that he has revealed himself to them through his word? Or do they kind of speak about God from ways that they think he works, or kind of some basic understandings? Are they trying to fill in gaps with their own thoughts and their own ideas without really addressing what God has said? I think sometimes there's some confusion about who God is from the, the general population of the world, especially some confusion about God from people who don't believe in him because of the ways that people have spoken about God that don't really fit with what God has spoken to us about his identity. And so things are made up, ideas are given and passed around that are uh, more just a, a sense of what people would like God to be, sort of general feelings about God, but they're not really who God is because they're not dealing with who God has revealed himself to be. And that's a pretty critical thing when we're representing God 
is that we have to speak about God and act in a way that officially operates as his representative, not kind of serving our own agendas or own ideas about who he is. Now, getting back to kind of verse three and how this applies between the kind of the Jews and the Gentiles and the, the ideas that he's making about the law and the gospel, we have to see that what Paul is saying is that both the Jews and the Gentiles operated by the law. They, they still operate by the law, but it's understood differently by both and their relationship to the law is different. For the Jews, they've had this established law, a law that God has revealed to them through specific or special revelation. This is the Ten Commandments and the laws given through Moses. And so they have an understanding of, of how the nature of the relationship works and operates. Where the Gentiles, right, the non-Jews, they don't have that. All they have is the expressions of the realities of the law that, that are kind of built into them, those natural realities. And so what Paul's saying here in verse 3 is to say at the start... Uh, both kind of look the same. They both utilize the law in the same way. And that's when he says that we were all kind of enslaved to the, quote, elementary principles of the world. That is the, the natural law. And now he's going to move into the, the differences uh, between how we relate to the law and the differences between the, the sons and the slaves. And that's what we're going to get to next. And that's also question two. How does Paul resolve the difference between the sons and slaves in verses 4 to 7. It's important to see here that the, the move that Paul now makes is incredible. Uh, it's masterful. All right, so after pointing out that both the sons and the slaves were under the law, uh, both kind of divine and natural, he now brings them together in Christ. See, when the time was right, God sent Jesus Christ. Jesus was born of a woman under the whole law, thus making him human and therefore making his sacrifice acceptable for all humans. That's Jews and Gentiles. And this act of grace by God's hand gave the inheritance to the existing sons, those Jews who believed uh, that Jesus Christ is the, the Son of God, the Messiah, but it also brought it to the slaves who've been made sons by their faith in Christ. In other words, there are no more slaves to the law, but all are sons and thus heirs of the promise by faith. There's no more distinction between the two. At least, that's how Paul sees it. The Galatian Christians, however, have started to see it a little bit differently, and this is the nature of the problem. And this is what he needs to clarify. And so this is what we're going to get to in verses 8 through 11. All right, so here we go. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, the English Standard Version. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God... How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. All right, question three. What does Paul fear has happened to the Galatian Christians? 
See, while Paul sees them as all free in Christ, the Judaizers, right, those who had come in and said that you had to be Jewish by circumcision first, they've come up with a completely different narrative. For the Judaizers, Christ opened the door for Gentiles to be sons and heirs through the observance of Jewish law. And this is what Paul's referring to when he comments about the observance of days and months and seasons and years. Essentially, Paul feels that all the Galatian Christians have done by listening to the Judaizers is shifted their slavery from the natural law to the divine law, and in turn, disavowed the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. In this way, Paul feared that all his efforts that, that he put into giving them the purity and the truth and the freedom of the gospel, everything that he did to, to give them that precious gift, that true freedom, has been for nothing. Because the moment the Judaizers walked in, they just went back to the law. Now think about the implications of this for us, God's people, today in the church. We have been set free by the gospel. The gospel made no requirement of us. It never said to us that I will give you salvation and life eternal if you just complete these specific tasks. There was no contract regarding our duties and responsibilities to work out that gospel and create that gospel for ourselves. It has been from the beginning a promise that is completely free. But when we start to attach things to the gospel... When we start to look at our relationship to God and look at our relationship to other people from the perspective of my love and my forgiveness is something that you have to earn, we've simply returned to the law and kind of thrown away the promise. That is to say, when we start attaching things to the nature of our forgiveness, when we start uh, taking our love and withholding it from people or limiting it from people because they have to fulfill certain requirements of us socially, uh, physically, uh, any number of ways that we tie things to the gospel, all we're doing is impeding the promise and incorrectly communicating the identity of God. Now we've taken God's love and his gospel that was freely given to us, and we are not freely giving it out to the world, and thus misrepresenting who God is. Folks, as the church, there is no greater part to, to our mission. There's nothing more vital to our existence and our identity and who we are than our capacity and ability to freely love and give God's grace and mercy to all people. All people. And I think sometimes this is where we get tripped up, and this is a place where sometimes people get tripped up in regard to the identity of the church and some confusion about the church. Because sometimes all we portray is a list of things that we don't like. Sometimes we are more known for what we hate than what we love. We're more known for our disagreements and our charge to, to be a certain way and to do a certain thing than for the nature of the freedom of the mercy and the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And a genuine conviction that the gospel can change people's lives. Because if we lose that, if we forget that, if we stop 
giving the gospel freely, if we stop being known for mercy and love and forgiveness and second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances and working with people and loving people and helping people, if that's not who we are, then folks, something is very, very wrong. And so this is a moment where we have an opportunity to reflect. When we represent the Christian church, what is it specifically that we represent? Do we represent the law? Do we represent a list of rules? Do we represent uh, all the things that the world is doing wrong? Not that there's no place for that. There's absolutely a place to hold the world and to hold people accountable. But the nature of that accountability comes with an incredible amount of humility and a recognition that all of it, all of it is specifically directed to get us to a point where we can communicate the love and mercy of a gracious God. Because if we're not that, what are we? All right, now that Paul has expressed his frustration regarding the Galatians kind of return to slavery, what he's going to do in this next section, verses 12 to 20, is he's going to plead with them to return to the truth. And it's in the process of this request that we're going to learn a little more about the nature of Paul's relationship with the Galatian church. So I hope you can join me as next time in the next podcast, we're going to address Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. Again, make sure you stay connected with us as we're going through here. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get the latest information and updates as we release new episodes and you can track along in this, this incredible Bible study about the nature of the gospel. All right. For those of you that know me personally, you know that I am an avid video gamer. I have been since I was a kid. I still remember very vividly getting my Sega Genesis and my Nintendo Entertainment System and playing classic games like Super Mario Brothers. But games have certainly evolved over time and developed into uh, much more elaborate games than I started with when I was a kid. And one particular game uh, made by Epic Games, Fortnite, has gotten themselves into a little bit of hot water. That hot water is the result of dancing. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of The Wire. For many, video games are a great way to blow off steam or just disconnect for a bit. Whether you're into adventure games, puzzle games, strategy games, or war games... All games are meant to be about having fun and forgetting about the stress in your life for a little while. That is, unless the games are causing stress. Former Fresh Prince of Bel-Air star Alfonso Ribeiro is reportedly suing Epic Games for their representation of his famous Carlton dance in their popular game Fortnite. According to Ribeiro's lawyer, quote, Epic has earned record profits off of downloadable content in the game, including emotes like Fresh. Yet Epic has failed to compensate or even ask permission from Mr. Ribeiro for the use of his likeness and iconic intellectual property, end quote. In other words, Ribeiro isn't getting paid for his dance that he created over 20 years ago. And is he right? Well, maybe. See, it appears to me that Ribeiro and others who have joined in with similar suits are addressing something that has been largely lost in the business world. And that is honor. 
And it's not that these characters in the game were given dances that reference pop icons like Carlton Banks or Dr. Chris Turk, aka Turk Turkleton to all you fans out there. It's that Epic took their dances, recreated them exactly in the game, and then monetized them. They have made millions from these buyable add-ons, but never once given credit to those who created them. Honor would have been attributing each dance to their creators and paying royalties. Or, even better, and I think perfectly fine with most of the aggrieved parties, recreate them in the game, properly attribute them, and then give them away to the millions of fans who laughed hysterically when they saw them originally, like me, or caught them on reruns like so many others. In Romans 13, Paul says plainly, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. These artists are owed respect and honor for their creations. And for a gaming company to leech millions off their creativity without recognition or even batting an eye is not okay. In all things, we should be honorable to those who deserve that honor. And however that needs to happen in this situation, I sincerely hope it does. Let us know what you think. Uh, hit us up on social media or comment down below. Do you think this is a worthwhile lawsuit? Do you think there's honor at stake? Uh, engage in the conversation with us. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, everyone, that is The Wire. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, make sure you connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at forward slash the Bold Speak on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you get any questions to us you might have at any questions at theboldspeak.com. Hopefully we can address those in a future episode. Until next time, everyone, thanks so much for joining me. I am Anthony Creeden, and that is the Bold Speak. <laughs>